In Romans 15 uh, of our text, and just kind of some context here. Uh, last week, Pastor Kenson gave a, an incredibly powerful message on verses 14 through 21, which if you haven't listened to yet, I strongly encourage you to listen to. Because in those verses, we find the heartbeat of the verses that we will read today. And that heartbeat is summarized and clearly stated in chapter 15 of verse 20. And it says, Thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. In other words, because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, which leads to salvation for all who believe in him and obey him, Paul's heartbeat, his sole purpose in life, was to proclaim the gospel until there was no place left. To go and tell until there wasn't a single city or neighborhood or people group that did not hear the power of the gospel. Do you feel the weight of that life purpose? Do you feel the boldness, the, the radicalness, the riskiness, even the life-sacrificial lifestyle that Paul would have to live to fulfill that life purpose. But what Paul makes crystal clear, that it wasn't just his life purpose. He calls all Christ followers to make it our life purpose as well, to proclaim the gospel and to live out it until there is no place left. And if we look all throughout scripture, this is the mission of God. That we are called to be ambassadors, to go out to the places that have never heard of Jesus Christ. And for us here in Chicago, it is for, it's here and all throughout the world. And I'm going to go a little bit more deeper into this, but let me pray for our time first, and then I'll kind of dig into our passage. So let me pray. God, we are thankful for this time that you have given to us. God, we pray that you would be glorified in the proclamation of your word that you would also allow our hearts to be good soil, God. Good soil to receive your word, to let it grow and be nourished so that we may not just be hearers of your word, but that we would also be doers of your word in our workplaces, in our communities and families, or wherever else you have called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, as we are nearing almost about one year of being in this pandemic, um, one of the most popular hobbies on the rise uh, is this new and forgotten art of cooking from home. You know, some studies have said that 55% of people are eating at home more often since the pandemic began, which, which makes complete sense. But what's interesting is that over 65% of people say they are tired of cooking at home. How many of you can relate with that? I'm tired of just cooking at home. So what's on the rise? New Food Network recipes, new kinds of foods and methods to experiment in the kitchen. Since the pandemic, how many of you have tried cooking new recipes from online? How many of you? How many of you? Probably most of us, right? But imagine with me for a second that you saw this delicious picture of, say, like some seafood pasta or some smoked baby back ribs or this amazing banana cream pie, which is my absolute favorite, and you want to make it. I mean, you have the time, no? So you look at the recipe and you see this beautiful image and your mouth is watering. 
and then right below the picture where the instructions are supposed to be, it's blank. What would you do? You're excited, you're hungry, and you can't wait to make this masterpiece. But there's no instructions. Unless you're like a master chef like Gordon Ramsay, without the instructions, that delicious food will never be made and you won't be able to taste it. You know, in a similar way, we have received this grand and beautiful mission of God to proclaim and live out this gospel until there is no place left. But the next big question that should come to mind for us is how? How do we live that out? What are the instructions and ways we can actually fulfill this mission? Now, there is a ton in Scripture, but as we go into our text, we'll essentially read Paul's missionary update, and so I'll read kind of pieces throughout the sermon. And there are actually three practical ways that Paul shows us how we can live out this mission in our lives today. Three practical ways. And let me just name them real quick. The first one is to go help plant churches. Go help plant churches. The second one is to send others. To send others. And the third is to join in the struggle of prayer. Join in the struggle of prayer. So let me just go one by one through these. Number one, the first way is to go help plant churches. Let's look at verse 22 and 24 of our text. Paul says this. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. You know, as you can see in our text here, Paul wanted to go to Rome. So he's writing this letter to the Roman church, but he's not there yet. He's writing to them. And he wanted to go to Rome, but he was delayed. And he was delayed because unlike Rome, which already had a church planted there, he knew there were many other regions and cities and neighborhoods that had no church presence there. Like in Corinth or in Ephesus or in Philippi. And notice here as well, even though Paul longed to go to Rome, Rome was not the main destination of his travel. Notice how he wanted to see them while passing on his way to go to Spain. Now, why Spain here? Because in Paul's time, if I had a map before you, you will see that, that the ancient world, Spain was literally the, the furthest western country or region you can get to. And also in Spain, it was known to be one of the most influential areas where the gospel had not been proclaimed yet. Paul's true purpose wasn't to go to Rome, it was to go to Spain so he could start a new work, a church plant where Christ had not been proclaimed. Now, I'm sure as I say, go help plant churches, I'm sure you're saying, well, Noah, not all of us can be like Paul here, right? We aren't all pioneers and can start churches. Are you saying, Noah, that we have to all plant churches? Yes. Now, hear me out here. Hear me out. The reason I say, and I started with planting churches, probably the most intimidating out of the three, is because I want you to see that we can all help plant churches. In the American church, there is this belief 
that church planting is called for the superstars or the called Christians or the radical Christians. But I believe it is a calling that God gives to every single one of us. Remember, our mission here, our life purpose is to proclaim and to live out the gospel until there is no place left. And though there's a lot of strategizing and things you have to consider in church planting, in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 8, Paul actually gives a a model of what he believes church planting to be for him. And he says this, We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of our own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. Church planting is sharing the gospel and sharing our very lives in love and service for others, which includes building community, doing justice, serving the poor, and much, much more. We are all called to do that. So the question is not what we are called to. The question is where are you called to do it? For us, there are ungospelized people and places right here in Chicago. There are unreached international students from all over the world living in our neighborhoods. There are coworkers, employees who have not heard the gospel clearly or accurately. There are moms groups, workout groups, friend groups who do not know Jesus apart from the culture or media that has told them about who Jesus is. And as our global team would passionately advocate for, there is even a greater need amongst the unreached people groups that live throughout the world. And according to the Joshua Project, a research center for global missions, there are currently 7,414 unreached people groups, which account for over 42 of the world's entire population. 42% of the world has never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ or has a church presence there. So the question I have for you, church, If our call is to help plant churches by sharing the gospel in our very lives, where is God calling you to do that? Where is God calling you? Is it right here in welcoming and having hospitality to neighbors and strangers in your home? Is it boldly reaching out to your peers or your neighbors to share about the love of Jesus? Is it leaving a more maybe comfortable church or a comfortable neighborhood to go to a new church plant or to a different neighborhood? Or is it choosing to work remotely in a different country or raising support to move to an unreached people group so you can share the gospel and help plant a church there? As Pastor Mark uh, Statura said, a mark of a great church is not its seating capacity. It is its sending capacity capacity. And at Park, that is our hope and our prayer, is that we would send more people to the unreached places throughout the city of Chicago, but also throughout the world. So let me move on as we continue through this text. The second way we proclaim and live out the gospel until there is no place left is to send others, to send others. Let me go back to verse 24 and read it to you all again, the the full verse. It says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. 
as Paul is writing to the church in Rome, one of the main purposes, if not actually the main purpose, was to ask for their relational and financial support so that the church in Rome could be the main sending church for Paul's work to go to Spain. Remember, Paul's main destination was Spain. And that phrase in our text here that says, helped on my journey, it's quite literally asking uh, the Roman church to send Paul with food, with resources, and perhaps even with other co-laborers to go with them to Spain. And then in verse 25 to 26, we read this. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. Now, Paul writes this because in his other letters, especially in 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Paul often writes about this Jerusalem collection, which was Paul's effort to raise financial support for the newly, from the newly established churches to give money and resources back to the Jerusalem church and back to the poor in Jerusalem because there was a, a famine most likely going on in Jerusalem. And then in verse, <clears throat> in verse 27, Paul writes... For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles, which were non-Jews, have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. Now, this is a little bit confusing here, but uh, this is not some like weird compensation where spiritual blessing must be reciprocated by material giving. But what Paul is reminding the church in Rome, and also all of us here, is the importance of the unity and partnership of the global church. Remember, um, in Acts 15, there was this tension between Jews and Gentile Christians. But Paul knew that if the global church could be united and partner with one another, the potential for gospel proclamation and reaching new places would be so much greater. So Paul orchestrates this gift from Gentile Christians to give to Jewish Christians in Jerusalem to build unity. And he believed that this was so important that he would pause his church planting efforts to deliver the gift himself. Because the gospel will only be able to reach the most unreached places throughout the world only if the church works in unity to send our people out in unity and in partnership together. The reason why Paul gives this example of going to Jerusalem is because he wants the church in Rome to see that just as the churches in Macedonia and Achaia supported the church in Jerusalem, he wanted the Roman church to give him the appropriate resources so that he could be sent and plant new churches in Spain. You know, let me give you an example here. Uh, in rock climbing, which I am by no means an expert in, uh, there is an important role that almost every rock climber needs to have. It's the belayer. The belayer is the person, I think I'm saying that right, the belayer, the, the person on the ground who is responsible for preparing the rope connections to the climbers, keeping the climbers safe just in case they slip or fall, or even helping the climber out who may need to be lowered or maybe just needs a break from climbing itself. While the climber climbs, the belayer on the ground supports and communicates with the climber on how best to support him or her. 
And depending on where you are climbing, a, a belayer can be there for a few, uh, like 30 minutes or be there for two to three hours. Holding, standing, and supporting. They have to be reliable. They have to be supportive. And the climber has to trust them. Because in some situations, it can be a life or death situation. You know, in a similar way, just as Paul asked the church in Rome to send him to Spain, we must also send others to unreached peoples in unreached places. Because they cannot go on their own. We belay for them by encouraging them and commissioning them to go to the places where the gospel is needed. Not by telling them it's too hard or to not go. We belay for them by giving them financial resources to provide for basic necessities like health care, food, housing, and more. We belay for them by communicating with them frequently and faithfully reading their updates as we learn about their work. And we belay for them by welcoming, welcoming them back into our homes and churches when they need a season of rest or just someone to talk to. Church, when I used to work for a missions organization that sent workers to, to East Asia, do you know what one of the biggest obstacles for our workers were? Not enough senders. Not enough senders. If, if, if there is someone in our church right now who wants to transfer jobs so they can go to an unreached people group or learn a different language so they can live amongst unreached people groups within different countries, church, we should be lining up to belay for them. We shouldn't just leave and say, hey, good job. We, we're we're going to be with you. You're like, go. We should be lining up to support them. You know, as, as Rafe preached a few weeks ago, we cannot just live this individualistic Christian life where just say, go do your thing. No, we need to send others and tell them that we are going to be holding that rope for you. We must send others because they are our own. They are part of our church community. Because when the churches across the world send others together, it paints this beautiful mosaic of the church working together to reach the places where the gospel is most needed. That is our role. Church, who are you belaying for right now? Who are you belaying for? If you looked at your finances, your time, your investment in others, are we actively sending others? Now, as we move to the third way, you probably noticed that I didn't mention one thing about sending, which is probably one of the most important things about sending others, which the third way to proclaim and live out the gospel until there is no place left is to join in the struggle of prayer. Look with me in verse 30. <clears throat> Paul says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. You know, in addition to sending him, Paul makes an even stronger plea for the Church of Rome to pray for him. This word that Paul uses, to strive together, it's the only time Paul uses this word ever in his letters. And it's this imagery of a person who contends and fights alongside someone when they're dealing with a really difficult circumstance or suffering through a hardship. 
If you watch the Avengers movies, it's like that moment in Avengers Endgame when all things looked like they were going to be defeated. And then Captain America hears these words on your left. And the entire forces of good come alongside him to battle alongside with him. That willingness to join in the hardship on behalf of others, that is the way that Paul wants the church in Rome to pray for him, to join in the struggle of prayer. And then in verse 31 and 32, we read what Paul wants prayer for. He says that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Jerusalem or in, in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Essentially, Paul prays for physical safety and for success in his trip to Jerusalem so that he can make it to Rome. Paul very much knew that without the prayer of others, prayers that are empowered by our Lord Jesus and by the love of the Spirit, Paul's ministry, his safety, his future endeavors would not be accomplished. Church, the greatest way we send others and accomplish gospel work among people in places that are unreached is first and always by prayer. Because prayer, wholehearted, committed prayer is actively pleading with God to accomplish his will, his good and perfect will in and through us. It's taking our eyes off our works or our efforts or even the name of Park Community Church and saying, God, do your work so that you can do it for your glory because your work, your way will never fail. And Paul knew this too. And Paul knew that his plans, his update here might not go as planned. In, in actuality, if you read later in Acts, it doesn't go as planned. What happens is that he actually gets arrested. And the way he gets to Rome is because of his chains. He was imprisoned and sent to Rome. Yet for Paul, and I hope for all of us, is that we join in the struggle of prayer so our hearts and our lives would be more in, in line with how God wants to accomplish his mission through us and through others. And that's why for the past 17 days here at Park and throughout all the Park locations, we've been praying from 12 to 12.30 every day from Monday through Saturday and then on Sundays, of course, before our, our gatherings here. And we believe that is so crucial to gospel work, that without God and his spirit moving in us, we will accomplish nothing. And so, will you join in the struggle of prayer with us, church? Will you schedule it on your calendars? Maybe wake up a little bit earlier to pray along with us? Will we at Park be a church that prays more this year so that the gospel can be proclaimed and lived out until there is no place left? I pray that it may be so. Church, just to summarize the three, the three ways again. We help plant churches, we send others, and we join in the struggle of prayer. But a question I want to ask for you all, and it's kind of the last question I want to ask, is why do many of us struggle to put these ways in practice? Why is it hard? Why is it so hard for us? 
Let me just show you a story. In college, um, uh, my sophomore year, I was looking for some opportunities to serve. Um, some things to do during the summer, to do missions trips, or maybe tutor kids, or volunteer somewhere. I had no idea what to do. So uh, a friend of mine said, why don't you join this urban ministry group in which we uh, will be sent to learn and serve in like an inner city context for the summer. And so I went, you know, as a suburban boy, I had no interest in urban or city issues. So I just took one step and I went to the training. Eventually, I decided to then commit my summer to that internship because a couple friends joined and there was this cute girl who was part of that team which by God's grace is, uh, I'm married to you right now. <laughs> but that summer, I went to Denver. And I lived in the city. I took public transportation, learned about injustices, racism, and poverty, and also worked at a homeless shelter. And as I spent time there, I listened to stories of pain and suffering, and I saw Christians coming alongside others to serve in the roughest places in the city. And then my heart began to kind of be interested and grow a little bit. Then that following year, I majored in sociology to actually learn more about what are these issues that are going around in cities or in society. Then the following summer, I did another urban internship in Washington, D.C. And over the years, over the months, over the days, with more experiences being in the city, sending and hearing more about different works who are serving alongside the poor and the broken in the city, more prayers for the city, God continued to grow my heart for loving and serving in urban areas with the gospel. And I guess that's how I ended up here at Park trying to plant a church in the city. Now for me, did this excitement or this passion for urban ministry come at the beginning? Or did it come by my own effort? No, it didn't. It grew with one small step I took. And to be honest, that first step I took was probably for the wrong reason. And God took that small step and started building something in me. By his grace, that this passion that continued to grow for ministry in the city. He didn't give me this radical passion in college, but he grew it over time. And the reason I share this experience is not to like toot my own horn or to say that I'm doing a great job, but because I believe for many of us here in this room and watching online, the greatest obstacle for us as American Christians is that we want God to give us this heart or this passion before we take a single step. We want that unique calling or that particular vocation or that passion that he gives or that, that like word from the sky that he can give to us to go to a certain place or to be with people. Now, there is nothing wrong with finding a unique passion and calling for your life. I believe God has a passion and calling for each one of us. But the issue or dare I say the lie is that you shouldn't do anything until you find that passion. We as Christians cannot be afraid of getting it wrong or taking that first step because we're just not inspired enough or we don't have clear direction. We shouldn't try to accomplish God's purpose all in that one time and say that we have this vision or have super clear direction. What we need to do is take one step, to take one step, to pray to send someone to go on that trip or to go and learn more about different issues happening around us. Because the only inspiration you need is the inspired word of God. 
And if we look through it time and time again, with one step, we see Moses who left the burning bush to go back to Egypt. But he had no idea that God would use ten plagues or split the Red Sea to deliver his people. With one step, Ruth clung to Naomi and went to Israel as a foreigner. But she had no idea that God would use her to redeem her through Boaz and to be the great-grandmother of King David. With one step, David gathers stones to strike down great Goliath in battle, but he had no idea that God would make him a king over the most powerful and prosperous nation in his time. With one step, the prophet Isaiah said, send me, yet he had no idea that God would call him to call out the sins of Israel and to prophesy about the coming Messiah. And church, with one step, Jesus, the Son of God, left heaven's throne to take on flesh and experience the joys and pains of humanity. But he didn't stop there. He kept taking step after step obediently, knowing his destination was the cross. Where on that cross all our sins, all our shame, all our brokenness would be placed on his shoulders. Yet he still went. And he would die for our sake. Yet even death would not hold him back. Because in three days, Jesus would take that one more step out of the grave. And he would defeat sin and he would declare that all who desire to have new life in him, if you believe in him, to take one step towards him. So that you would receive the promises of new life, of new hope, of everlasting life given to all who believe in Jesus. Church, what is that one step of faith you need to take today? All it takes is one step, church. One step of prayer. One step of going. One step of sending or, or whatever else God has commanded us here in his word. And through one step, I believe, I believe as a church that God can and will do amazing work through and in us. Amen, church? Let me pray. God, we are thankful for your word this morning. We pray that by your grace, that by your gospel, that you would inspire us to take that one step. Help us, Lord. Conquer our fears. Conquer any timidity that we have, Lord, to be faithful, to glorify, and to honor you because we want to proclaim and live out the gospel until there is no place left. In Jesus' name we pray. We say, amen.